Hello, and welcome back to Software Engineering Daily. My name is Mike Bifolco, uh, and today I have the distinct pleasure of uh, chatting with one of my favorite people from the internet, uh, Matt Billman from Nailify. Matt, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Pretty good. Great to be here. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for joining. Uh, Matt, so you're, you're what I would consider to be a deep subject matter expert in many things that I find super exciting, and it's really hard to choose like a, a short list of things to chat with you about. Um, I think it probably makes sense to give a very quick introduction to um, yourself and kind of talk about your history uh, before you got to Netlify, and then we can, can kind of dive into Netlify and the exciting problems you've been solving there and, and some of the news from Netlify. So um, to start with, why don't you tell, tell me a little bit about yourself? Sounds good. So I'm Matt Billman, co-founder and, and, and CEO of Netlify. Um, I'm originally I'm originally Danish. Um, um, grew up in Denmark, studied musicology and comparative literature, and uh, almost finished a, a master's in cultural studies while working as a freelance musical journalist uh, before changing careers into technology. But have been have been programming and, and building with computers since I got my first Commodore 64 as a 10 years old uh, and it was sort of through the whole education in humanities my main procrastination was to building things online and, and programming um, ended up uh, ended up uh, in Spain where I spent seven years and worked as uh, ended up working as CTO for a company that built websites for small to medium businesses all across Europe at a very large scale. So we were building around a hundred websites a week, tens of thousands of, of, of customers and the very large scale productions, right? Like, and I, I ran the product and engineering organization that built the whole platform that designers would do design with, that clients would use for content management and that powered every single website all the way from initial brief into production hosting. And then I started a, a startup in Madrid together with the founders of that Spanish company, really with the idea of like, hey, we just built several different iterations of this kind of web platform internally. So let's build, a, let's build one aimed at other agencies and professionals that can use it to build sites and stores and so on for, for their customers. Um, so started that and came to the Bay Area working on that. Um, big sort of multi-tenant cloud CMS uh, in the traditional vein of, of one big monolithic application um, and started getting this sense that that the fundamental architecture of the web was going to change away from every website, web store, web application being one big monolithic app where like the web experience layer and the business logic layer and the data access layer and all of that was bundled together in, in one application and to a world where we would start separating that web experience layer from all these other functionalities and have that backend layer split into different APIs and services where typically some are your own, but a lot of them are, are, are other people's services like Contentful or Stripe or Twilio or Algolia and so on. And um, it was like in this this early journey where where I had like a CMS that internally like was was monolithic and multi-tenant, but still had this like strict separation between like web front end and and content. And I could see like okay, either I can sort of take the content piece of this and 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 take a bit on the headless CMS space. But I felt where there was a bigger like gap in the market was in the front end piece of this of like what does the head actually look like in in that infrastructure. Um, so I built a small MVP around that called 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 Bitbaloon, took it to market in 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 the shortest time possibly, and very quickly saw that 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 this idea of a place to deploy and operate the web experience layer for this new architecture had like resonated with the right people. Then got one of my best friends uh, back from Denmark to, to, to come join me in California and, uh, and, and make this a, a startup. And we uh, launched Netlify out of private beta back in, in March 2015, really with the idea of like, okay, what is this, what is this web platform for the web experience layer going to look like? Um, and then by now we've, we've raised more than uh, $212 million. Uh, we've onboarded uh, more than 3 million developers to the platform and we're reaching 
close to a billion unique visitors to to sites and apps running on on Netlify every every single month. Um, we coined the term Jamstack as part of this as part of this journey to really describe what what does it mean this idea of decoupling the web experience layer from from all the other things. Um, and we've seen sort of really the 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 web go in the direction that we that we hope for, right? Like in this modern architecture really become a, a reality. Yeah, wow. Uh, quite the story arc there. I think you've, you've really surfed the wave of things to come and, and seem to have had a really good sense of um, the, the important bets to make along the way. I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we get too much further, you did briefly mention Jamstack and that you, uh, in, in fact, coined the term Jamstack. Uh, what's that? Tell me about Jamstack. Yeah, so I mean... There's actually always been, I think, a little bit of like broad interpretation since we never went down as a company and said like, here's us deciding what Jamstack is and we're telling you all. We really built like a broad alignment across the industry and like, hey, we have to have some common vocabulary for talking about this fundamental shift in the architecture of the web. And the Jamstack is not a stack in the sense of like the LAMP stack that's like PHP and MySQL and Apache, right? Like the whole idea when we coined the term was that in a certain way, the stack has moved up a little, right? Like we're talking about now you're deploying something into modern browsers that takes advantage of this whole modern API ecosystem. So right now, we the, the, the definition that I think captures the Jamstack the best is that it's an architectural approach that decouples the web experience layer from data and business logic, improving flexibility, scalability, performance, and maintainability. And um, it really ties into this idea of, of composable architectures and of being able to live in a world where for most of your backend needs, there's a service out there you can go by and plug into. And if you can allow your, your, your team that actually builds user experiences to choose their own tools of choice and move at the pace of user experience rather than the pace of backend development, then then you get sort of a much better combination where the teams building user interfaces are not don't have their whole stack determined by someone this like deciding, hey, let's go with this CMS and suddenly you're writing PHP, right? Like suddenly that those teams working working on the experience layer pick their own tools of choice, can get access to this fast moving landscape of different JavaScript frameworks. The backend engineers built like APIs and services in whatever language makes sense for them. And for a lot of those backend needs, you can simply buy off the shelf components instead of going and building them yourself. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a well thought out definition there. I think, um, having gone through this, so, uh, I was, I was an early adopter of Jamstack in a sense that, uh, I think I was at one of the first few Jamstack conferences, uh, in New York, um, and, and sort of by luck just started learning Gatsby at some point because I was curious about it. Uh, and it sent me down, uh, you know, all of the Alice in Wonderland story arc of figuring out how to uh, build things with all these tools that was suddenly like very eye opening to me. And there's there's an interesting paradigm shift when you suddenly can just tie things together, maybe not effortlessly, but much easier than it used to be. Uh, and and I think a lot of developers who used to work on enterprise teams uh, have probably spent a lot of time rebuilding the same sort of functionality for a different stack of tools over and over and over throughout their career. Uh, and now suddenly it's sort of like choose the best one for the current time and the current problem and build that into your, your uh, team and your solution uh, and really lean into the front end a bit more. Um, it's a super cool experience and it's definitely something that's been um, very exciting to be a part of uh, as, as even just the consumer of, of the services there. Um, so from if, if uh, someone's listening to the podcast and they have not used Netlify before, uh, what is the um, uh, elevator pitch, I suppose, for getting in and using Netlify? I mean, we basically take away all the friction from building, deploying, and operating modern modern web properties, right? Like a lot of a lot of the work that goes into modern web development can be doing a lot of things that are not specific for where you are trying to add value uniquely, right? Like if you work for a business and you're trying to build a specific project for that business, you're trying like ideally you should be able to spend as much of your time as possible writing code that serves that business need. But a lot of the time, 
people are spending a lot of their time wiring up release management systems, figuring out observability and logging, uh, managing global infrastructure, <clears throat> finding out how to, who should carry the pager and how like alerting happens when something is down or, or the like, right? Um, we're building an end-to-end -end platform where as long as you adopt this kind of idea of decoupling the web experience layer from the backend business logic layer, we can take care of sort of the whole end-to-end -end lifecycle management of your, of, of your web experience layer um, and allow you as a developer to focus on creating value from your business and writing code that you need to you, right? Um, so we take care of deploying, building, operating, and scaling uh, your modern websites and web apps. Yeah, at the risk of oversimplifying it, um, early on in my career, there was uh, on every team I worked on, there was someone called a build master uh, whose entire job was figuring out steps needed to take code and turn it from the new code that was written into the deployed thing in the real world. Uh, and that job is a lot less important today than it was then. I'm not saying it doesn't exist any longer, but... Uh, the, the functionality provided by Netlify uh, to streamline that process and make the developer experience is like just s such a paradigm shift from the way it was, uh, gosh, I would call that maybe less than 10 years ago even. Um, it's a pretty astonishing difference. I think it ties into the whole, like there's been a, a, a long journey of, of, of DevOps towards allowing developers to ship more frequently with more confidence, right? Like, and we all know that that if you want to be best in class in terms of like, developing customer facing applications on the web and building great user experiences and so on. A lot of what decides how well you're going to do is how, how often and how frequently can you ship, how fast can you iterate, right? Like, and that's what we keep hearing from our customers that we've helped them elevate that level of, of shipping, right? Like company, one, one of the customers we work with is, is Twilio. So today, if you log into Twilio's core application, that application runs on Netlify, right? Um, and they they are even a company that have long specialized in having their own internal platform teams just to support their, their developers in moving faster. But when they adopted Netlify for, for their core SaaS application, they went from shipping to production about once a week to around 10 times a day, right? Like, and that's... That's the kind of change we often hear from our customers and often even, even, even more pronounced in companies that might not be at, 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 at Twilio's level of, of internal platform teams and so on. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the old world might have been you ship, you know, once per, um, dev cycle and that can be a week. That can be two weeks. That can be a month for some teams. Uh, and now you can ship multiple times per dev cycle because of the, the way that these infrastructures are set up. Yeah. Um, so let, let's talk about what's new with Netlify and what's going on in your world. So um, we're a few weeks out from uh, the most recent Jamstack conference. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, what happened that week? Yeah. I mean, that was uh, Jamstack conference is like a Christmas for, for me and my co-founder, right? Like it's, it's just an amazing time to see the whole uh, ecosystem come together. And um, Jamstack conference this year was the, was, was the first in-person Jamstack conference in, in more than three years, um, because of the pandemic. And of course, we've been having virtual conferences and they're great for the content, but they just don't have the same, like, amount of meaningful community interactions and excitement, right? Like, there's not the same amount of sort of, spontaneous connections being made that suddenly leads to to new products or people getting funded or or or, or exciting things like that right so jamstack conference uh, this this year was very special for for being able to once again bring that whole community together uh, we had between five and six hundred people in in person at the event a large group of the of the companies that are that are building a around this whole ecosystem, lots of super interesting interactions between all, all the different uh, companies that, that were there that all sort of forms different part of the stack, right? Like this is all about building these composable architectures. So it's a very unique conference in the sense that you get all these different pieces of the puzzle and you get to explore what each vendor, what each new framework has, has to do. We had some 
really good talks on, on, on stage from uh, framework authors, from people building the new generation of runtimes or databases um, and, um, and, and the full energy of the old Jamstack conferences was, was really back again, right? Like, uh, so, so it was, it was, it was very exciting to see. Yeah, it seemed like for for a week uh, I was experiencing the sharpest FOMO I've had in years because I wasn't there this year, uh, and and all of my friends and people who I've been longing to see were there. Uh, there was a lot of exciting news. It seemed like there were a lot of really um, interesting companies showing up uh, who were there to participate, right? Who were, who were there to sort of give back. And um, one of the things I really love about the whole Jamstack world is that open source is a big part of it as well. Uh, so people meet, they interact, they uh, work on projects together, they help one another resolve their problems. Uh, it, it's a very giving experience and a very forthcoming uh, kind of community. Um, something that that I think uh, is hard to convey in just words. It's it's one of those things that when you live it, it feels really magical, uh, and it's it's a very cool thing. And I can totally understand how that's um, Christmas for you for sure. Um, were there any announcements that stood out from Jamstack.conf? Um, I I think like a lot of the. A lot of it for me again was really the the energy be- between people. It was getting open source projects on stage together, and it was a lot of the things that happens also on the on the hallways of 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 seeing of seeing new ideas emerge between different people in the in the open source uh, ecosystem. We had some great uh, launches from 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 some of the. Uh, Early stage startup in in our Jamstack Innovation Fund that they were they were really exciting. Um, we had like companies that had just launched, like SatterDB, showing up and and being dri- driving really cool releases releases forward. Um, I I enjoyed having a chat with the with the CTO of of, of Figma um, on how they built. Figma for the web and and what it meant to build something that that everybody thought could only be a desktop application for the web. Um, so so I would say like this Jamstack conference to some degree and also from us on purpose like we we also chose to to have a little more hands off approach and really make it about the community and not about us doing a product launch. Um, so this this edition of it I think felt more like the community finally coming back together again and creating together again than than like a specific launch announcement um. sure yeah w- one of my favorite things about um community events like this is that you, you really get the sense that the rising tide of everyone being successful helps everyone else out uh and that all these products learning to innovate together and, and in a sense in some cases compete with each other drives the innovation that makes it easier for developers to build great products and an end in the end to turn around and deliver great products to end users around the world. Um it's it's fascinating to see and, and a very exciting um, group of people to be able to work with. Um you did touch very briefly there, you mentioned the Jamstack Innovation Fund, and I want to ask you about that. So can you tell me about the Jamstack Innovation Fund? Yeah, so I mean, we we launched uh, after our Series D last year. We we launched uh, the Jamstack Innovation Fund, where where we're writing uh, checks to typically early stage companies uh, in the Jamstack space that we feel we we can help in part in part with an investment and in part through a, a program of um, advisorship um, and guidance. And of course, a presence at, at the, at the Jamstack conference. Uh, so this, this year we launched the first batch of the, the Jamstack Innovation Fund, um, with 10 companies, um, ranging from, from really early stage, like, um, um, like ranging from really early stage, like being part of the first first check in, to companies like Dino that that that's Series A with like large uh, funding round from 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 Sequoia, but all pretty early stage and all centered around companies that we feel can add value to the whole ecosystem. Yeah, the the uh, cadre of companies that's lined up for the innovation fund is really interesting because it touches on a lot of developer tooling and a lot of functionality that's like. So much broader than you might expect, right? Like Dino itself is is the innovation of a complete new language, 
Uh, and and I know Clerk is one of the um, innovation fund companies. I actually spoke with um, uh, folks from Clerk not too long ago about their product, uh, and they're building authentication that's that's very React focused. Uh, and so it comes from like uh, new languages to uh, tooling to enable with a specific language to f- sort of framework agnostic tools that plug into things. And uh, I think that speaks to the breadth of what Jamstack helps uh, developers to do. Um, so you said this was this was the first round of the uh, innovation fund, and um, you've um, I guess there are ten companies involved. Is that right? Yeah, so, ten, 10 companies uh, in, involved. And now really learning our first lessons from from this first batch, and then uh, and then starting to think about uh, the 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 next the next iteration. Yeah, uh, how long does the program last? Um, so uh, we we basically ran a, a, a program over this year with access to uh, advisors across like go to market investment uh, engineering scaling um, from from both our team and our ecosystem um, and then of course like each, each of these. Each of these companies, we we build a, a great relation to and, and want to help move forward. Uh, not not just this year, but but as they as they built better and better tools for the whole ecosystem. Yeah, we, uh, one thing I want to make sure we do, we'll make sure there's a link in the show notes here to the companies that are involved in the innovation fund, as well as information about the innovation fund itself. Um, I think it's an exciting um, program, and as someone who's been involved in the startup world for quite a long time, uh, I, I think it's cool to see um, innovation coming from within as well. We're, we're we're helping each other sort of be successful, and I really like that part of the world. Yeah, it's all about this idea that, like, again, this whole the whole idea of Jamstack is built on this idea of composing, right? Like, of you have your your web UI. And then you compose all these different APIs and services together. We've seen these whole like interesting component landscapes that also allows for, for, for tools like Clerk to really build like, Hey, here's, here's a set of composable React components for handling all of your signup needs and so on. Right. Like, um, we are seeing really interesting data services emerge that, that allows you to think about your core data infrastructure more as an API. You just turn on and it's there. We're seeing new runtimes emerge that allows us to shift some of the, the the rendering paradigms from being either in a client's browser or a server near your data, and suddenly introducing this whole sort of edge rendering layer that's that's becoming really interesting, right? And our interest in in both the Jamstack conference uh, in driving Jamstack as a community and investing in these companies is really this idea of, of a rising tide, right? Like we, we want the web to be a better place to build for with, with more tools uh, and, and more um, capabilities. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm curious, what are, uh, what are the things that you're thinking about sort of next? What are the, the problems that Netlify is, is thinking about or looking into or what's keeping you up at night? <laughs> I mean, as a founder, there's plenty of things keeping keeping me up every every night, um, and uh, and for sure, it's an interesting macroeconomic environment that 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 we are in now, and one I think will persist for quite a while. Um, but I think from from our point, like um, we we're very much thinking about like when we set out to build Netlify. We had to we had to come up with even just this core concept of, of Jamstack because there wasn't even a nomenclature around this shift to decoupling the web experience layer from the backend layer, right? Like it, it, it wasn't out of like hey, we want to come up with, with fun new words. It was really out of necessity because there just wasn't a way of talking about this in, in a in in a realistic way, right? Like we've we've gone out and gotten aboard on board a lot of the early adopters in that space, right? Like first the innovators and the early adopters and really seen this adoption curve reach a high point where where now we have lots of broad enterprise use cases, we have lots of big companies adopting this architecture. Um, and we have like a general sense of like, okay, now this is not even just like the new hip thing. This 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 is really like one of the main ways you should think about building think about architecturally like if, if you want to build for the web this is this is where you should look right um, but that also means that we're really moving into to to sort of the next space of like true enterprise adoption and like 
and large companies really starting to think not just how do we build a specific project within our company, but what should our web architecture look like? And how does that affect not just our developers, but also like how does that like how do we make sure that architecturally we're building on a sound ground for the future? How can we keep up to all the constant change happening in the in the in the front end space without having to re-architecture constantly? Um, how does this affect the the marketeers or product managers or designers being part of these delivery teams end to end and so on? So that leads to a lot of the questions we are going into next year with how how do we make this architecture easier to adopt for for enterprise companies? How do we make it easier when you have a specific use case to come to us and uh, and and get more answers on like how should we architect for this use case? Um, how do we help thread the needle between this very fast moving front end framework space uh, and uh, user experience space? And then how you consume and connect to all of these different APIs and services, both internally and externally. Um, we this year we we launched Netlify Graph that's been in, in in Netlify Labs so far, and that's given us a lot of learnings and like what what do people actually need when they are trying to 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 architecturally settle on a on a more robust pattern and like what does the abstraction layer between the web experience and, and all your different tools look like um, in next year, we'll, we'll sort of delve into the next iteration of that and how we think that should look like. Um, I'm also, I'm also sort of from the broader web concerned about how, how we keep this balance between like rapid development and, and new methodologies and so on, and then not constantly going into the same cycle of adding complexity and complexity and complexity until we sort of have to completely switch off and go back to something much simpler, right? Like, I think there's a tendency in the ecosystem right now to go from relatively simple mental models to very complex mental models that do have advantages, but that might in the end be too complex mentally to really live up to those advantages versus simpler solutions that take some 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 trade-offs, but take those trade-offs in order to keep the sort of overarching simplicity. Yeah, uh, I, that resonates quite a bit with me. I think as a developer, especially living in a world where you have uh, tech news coming at you all the time, it's really exciting to hear about new things coming around, like uh, serverless edge functions, things like that, right? Where suddenly you want to use this shiny thing and it becomes the hammer to, for every nail that you start to see. Uh, that may not always be the case, right? There's definitely some times when like the new thing is useful for certain new scenarios and how do you identify those scenarios? Should that be the responsibility of the architect, the architecture, or maybe the underlying tooling? And how do you decide uh, what the balance of those things is? Yeah, it's it's a fascinating world to live in. I think it's really interesting that um, things seem to be moving as quickly as they are. Um, I, I also really like the idea that enterprises are starting to adopt uh, Jamstack, and it's something that's becoming more regular. Um, I think there's probably a story to be told for a lot of enterprises where they probably live for a while in, in sort of like a hybrid world, where they have some things built on other architectures, you know, maybe LAMP or, or .NET stack that's more traditional, but they're starting to adopt uh, Jamstack as well. Um, I, I'm interested in that story and how you kind of um, I don't know, convey that to the, the people who need to buy into that message. Yeah, I think that's very, very spot on. And it's very true in the enterprise segment, right? Like any really large company will have a lot of existing technology that they can't just migrate away from, right? Like and your, your, your strategy as a very large company can't be like every three years, we're going to like switch out all of our technology, right? Like we can stop the world and like rewrite everything, right? Like no one is going to do that ever, right? Like it's not that that's not a way you create like sustained value for your, for your customers as a business, right? Like, so whenever we work with enterprise customers, being a partner in understanding how this fit into the rest of their infrastructure and the rest of the architecture is, is really important. And from the beginning, we, we spend a lot of time building things like what, what we call the gradual migration, for example, right? Like where if you have 
like take take one of our customers for example trip actions right like that that just gave a talk at at, at the gems tech conference they started migrating their their core uh, tripactions.com site to netlify from an ex- existing like before that it, it was just a part of their ruby and rails application um, like built on top of MongoDB and so on and they had just like built the marketing sites as kind of part of that right and they needed to get to a point where where their mar- marketing engineers could move much faster than the core application engineers right um, but again it wasn't really an option to just stop the world, rewrite everything and launch a completely new site with nothing on the old stuff. So they took like a very, like a very tried and tested approach with us where they put Netlify in front of the existing site and basically just use us as a CDN where everything passes through. And then they would start build out all the core new pages with uh, next and contentful. Um, and just launch those. And as they pushed into Netlify, we, we do sort of all the magic behind the scene of shift, like of, of understanding when a request comes in, does this match something that's deployed to Netlify? In that case, we just serve it out of the edge nodes. And otherwise we just like proxy through from the edge node to their, to their origin and, and, and serve that. That's a pattern we've seen, seen, seen used in, in many cases. Um, to sort of gradually start start migrating. Then as I mentioned, like we are also really thinking what more can we do in terms of making it easy to treat some of those legacy services. If you have like a bunch of Drupal sites or WordPress sites and so on, how can we make it easier for you to start treating those as headless APIs and using them both at your build steps or at your runtime steps without exposing those legacy services directly to the web. Um, that's, that's still, that, that's still one of the areas where we think, where I think we, we have a, we have a lot more interesting work to do next year. But one area I think is, 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 is really interesting, especially from the perspective of these larger enterprise customers where you're just never going to instantly retool to one completely new stack. You're always going to be in some form of middle ground of, of maintaining and migrating, right? Sure. Yeah. I think, um, in particular using legacy sites as headless APIs like Drupal or WordPress or any of the big popular ones, um, helps probably to avoid the the problem of people being afraid of new tooling or uh, things they're unfamiliar with. The people who've been using that CMS for the past 10 years to maintain their marketing site don't have to suddenly jump into a new CMS and deal with all the presumed headaches that comes with with uh, jumping into something new and you can kind of make sure you're responsibly migrating them from A to B. Um, I'm curious uh, to, to ask a little bit about, um, so you mentioned Netlify Graph briefly. Uh, that's a product that came out of your, your labs and into the, uh, I guess, production world at this point. Um, gosh, so my, my understanding of Netlify Graph is it, it's basically a, um, a, a GraphQL enablement that sort of uh, um, gives you access to a bunch of different potential APIs that you might plug into. So single GraphQL thing to query that might give you access to I don't know, let's call it um, e-commerce stuff and CMS stuff and uh, user authentication stuff. Is that something that helps uh, in the enterprise story as well? Yeah, I would say that Netlify Graph itself is is still in, in uh, Netlify Labs status and we're still iterating with customers to really find 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 the right, um, the exact fit for, for, for the product. We, we know from customers and especially from enterprise customers that a lot of them are looking into what's the right abstraction layer between this kind of fast moving web landscape where you want your web teams to be able to just quickly iterate. You want that kind of like, how do we get them to ship tens of times a day? How do we just unlock these teams to build great user experiences and move fast, adopt new tooling as they see it come and so on. And then you have this layer that sits behind, whether it's in part like, your core content infrastructure, right? Like, and often you end up with a couple of like, especially in larger settings, you, you, you're not, you're never just in a world where, where all of your content ends up living just in one place, right? Like you end up with different APIs and services 
Some might be new dedicated headless services like Sanity or Contentful. And some might be your old legacy WordPress installs, Drupal installs. Um, you have the choice of different e-commerce pieces and different e-commerce infrastructure. Again, some natively headless, some adapted to a headless world. And then all of these companies have a lot of like business infrastructures, their ERP systems, or PIM systems, or whatever that, 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 that are never really going away and that you have to talk to, right? Like, so a lot of what we're working with customers with is like, what's the right layer of a strap abstraction between the fast moving, moving web layer and all those different services that gives you the ability as a web developer to very quickly consume data and, and build experiences on top of that and give you the guarantee as an enterprise architect that, that over time you're not too locked into any of those services. You can migrate stuff from one service to another. You can bring in new services or remove services um, and get to this ideal of, of true composable architectures. So our our graph initiatives is like an important part of, of, of unlocking that for, especially for enterprise companies, it's still in, in, in early stages, but we've learned a lot this year of, 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 of what to do and, um, and what really works for our customers. So you'll see a lot more in, on, on that from us in the, in the next year. I think it's admirable uh, to to tackle such a massively complicated uh, problem space uh, and, and something that's so um, critical to enterprises being able to move in the ways that they need to for their various business units and you know sort of small to medium teams who who have their own needs for software to be built out. Yeah, it's one of the things I think we've always aimed to do, right? Like, is make sure that every part of our platform. This is very unique from tools that came before us, I think, right? Like, we're really making sure that every part of our platform kind of scales all the way from single developer to large scale enterprises at the size of like Twilio or Unilever or DocuSign or the like, right? Like, um, so we try to always build things in a way that's like very immediate, very instantaneous, very free of friction for the individual developers but also embody the kind of best practices that allows you to, to, to keep scaling all the way from that individual, like maybe even hobbyist developer building their first website and to the, to the product engineering team of, of Twilio or the .com team at, at Unilever and so on. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Uh, busily getting over a cold over here. Um, they, they are, uh, the, the kinds of problems that are, um, difficult to, um, for, for technical VPs of large companies, very difficult to assess the problem space, uh, holistically. And it's nice to have, uh, a, a company like Netlify sort of investing in looking at that problem writ large. And I almost feel like this is one of those things where at the beginning of our conversation, you talked a little bit about how the fundamentals of the web were changing, uh, when you were starting to get into your, your, your early MVPs. Uh, I think for enterprises, the fundamentals of running a large-scale enterprise that's sort of modern is changing as well. Uh, so, Matt, one one other thing I wanted to chat with you about. Um, so, recently you announced uh, on your uh, press site, I saw you hired some uh, new executives. Um, can we chat about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, from from my role, a, a big part of building the company is building the the leadership team. And constantly iterating on, on, on that leadership team as, as we, as we keep going new places, right? Like, and, uh, and meeting new types of customers and, uh, and reaching new levels of, of scale. Um, so yeah, last week we, we announced our new uh, CMO, Dorian Kintle and, uh, our new product leader, Navneet Juneka. Um, both people that I'm really, really excited to, to be, to be working with and learning from Dorian, Dorian's been the, about six years at, at Unity, um, before he came to, to Netlify, uh, all the way from like when, when Unity was a series B company and until after their IPO. So really saw that whole journey of going from early developer community adoption building, like with their 3D engine, building 3D applications and so on to, to becoming a, a large publicly traded company, both, both still serving all of that, like 
bottom-up developer game community, but also building a, a very strong enterprise business on, on, on top of that. Right? Like, so that's a very relevant experience for, for, for a company like ours that are also really building on top of, of, of constantly thinking about like, how do we best serve developers? How do we best empower developers? But also really building on top of that a, a, a strong a culture of being able to support enterprise companies in, in building real world mission critical products for their customers. Um, and in a similar vein, Navneet uh, Janekari just comes with like a massive amount of experience building these kind of, of, of products for both developers and, and, and businesses. He was, uh, he was a lead PM for, for S3 at, uh, at AWS back when AWS was smaller than Netlify. Um, and uh, was the, was the founding product manager for, for, for Google Cloud, uh, when, when they basically only had App Engine and were starting to build the actual cloud platform, um, and spent, uh, more than six years, uh, six years there. Um, he was, uh, general manager for Azure uh, virtual machines. So like the whole compute layer for machines and, and came to us after, after stint at the VMware, uh, where he worked closely with the founders of Kubernetes to, uh, to, to build the product offering around Kubernetes at VMware. Um, so I'm, I'm just ex extremely excited to, to get to work with these people to, to learn from, from them and, and to, um, and to get their help in, in building an even better product and, and educating the market about it. Yeah, that's an incredible amount of <clears throat> domain expertise from like, you know, some of, of a very small group of people on the planet who've uh, been through that kind of growth with those sorts of companies. Um, and certainly like product and marketing are two things that are uh, tied very closely together if, if you want to scale and kind of grow uh, a successful company of any size. Um, yeah, that's really exciting. Con congratulations on onboarding the, uh, the new hires there. Um, so Matt, um, before we go, I did want to ask a little bit about the uh, Jamstack community survey. Um, I know this is something that um, uh, is uh, put out every year and is something that uh, sort of used to assess uh, the growth of Jamstack, the state of Jamstack, those sorts of things. Um, can you talk a little bit about this year's Jamstack community survey and maybe some of the uh, salient learnings from it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we, we've been doing this now for, for a couple of years. Uh, we have uh, Seldo that, that many people might know as, uh, as the, one of the creators of, of NPM um, and a, a, a true data geek. Um, we have him run and conduct the, the Gen 6 survey every, every year. Um, and are starting to be able to also get trends year over, over year and so on. So it's been, uh, it's, it's been a really fun project and it's always interesting to combine just like our own forward looking aspect of like, where do we think the web will go years from now with sort of this more backward looking prospect of like what what's the community doing right now and what were they doing this this year of course some of the things we've seen um falls outside of even what what's the specific jamstack community doing and it's probably reflecting even broader on the world right like the the, the change we see in in terms of remote work becoming a permanent thing is really fascinating, right? Um, when before the pandemic, we were a hybrid company, right? Like, and and uh, and had a big bet on building a, a, a distributed culture from the beginning. But that was for sure sort of like the the rare thing to do versus being based in an office. Today, new like remote work has really become the the, the new normal. Eighty three percent of the developers that we surveyed. Uh, works remotely more than half the time. Um, and also interestingly, like you could expect that now that, that things are going more back to normal with vaccines and so on, that, that people were generally uh, returning to the office, things were going back to, to the way it was before the pandemic. But 76% of the, of the developers we surveyed say that they even either, either maintained or increased the frequency of working remotely in the last year. Um, so that's also a really strong signal. 
And as a, as a stronger signal, we, we had around 55% of all the developers we surveyed saying that they would quit their jobs if they were forced to, to return to an office. Like, so, um, yeah, strong, strong, strong signals there. We also really learned that the, the other thing we, we, we saw very clearly having been real is, is just like the, the idea of serverless really going mainstream, right? Like this, this year, 70% of the developers we surveyed in the Jamstack ecosystem reported using serverless up from 46% last year, right? Um, so that's also why we're really seeing that move from just early adopters and into really early majority. And, and, and I think like more and more mainstream usage of, of this architecture into it because like, of course, serverless functions and edge functions are going to be a really key piece of making this, this, this architecture serve all the different use cases out there. Um, so yeah, th th those are some of the really uh, interesting insights from, from my perspective. Yeah, so there's a lot of really, really interesting trends to look at across the data. I think it's one of those things that is really well served to pull up the site and actually look at the charts and kind of leaf through them. Uh, there's some very interesting trends that uh, become apparent once you've seen the charts, but like is the sort of thing that I haven't, I wouldn't have contextualized until I saw it uh, kind of drawn up. Um, one of the things that stood out to me actually in, in the uh, survey for this year was that uh, there's sort of a growth of importance of... Um, uh, device-specific browsers for certain use cases uh, since the survey started. And I think what that means essentially is like developers who are building things on the Jamstack are starting to think more about um, like small IoT devices or maybe uh, watches, things like that, where your software is showing up more now than it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, that was one of the really curious and really interesting insights from the survey, right? Like there was sort of this whole growth growth in the category of, of devices that didn't neatly fit into mobile or desktop in, that people were actually building for. And I think it's it's one of the things that I've always kept in mind when, when we look, for example, at the at the framework language, frame, framework landscape and so on, right? Like that I think um, there's always a question, like there's always a feeling that the current dominating framework is going to be dominating for forever. And yet two years later, you always see that something new has, has really popped up. And part of that is because like, the web is really unique in that it, it expands into every new technology and new medium, right? Like there's a web story for like back in the day, the web story was just the desktop computers. They were all that existed, right? Like, and then as mobile devices came along, it really changed. Like, what are you building for? Responsive design became a thing. You started seeing tablets coming up in whole new formats and so on, right? Like um, you started seeing all the different voice technologies, right? Like where suddenly you need a web story for like, how is Alexa going to interpret your, your, your website, right? Like um, that, that becomes a new thing. I bet with new VR devices and AR devices, of course the web is going to play a role, right? Like, so you're always not just building for sort of the, the current generation of, of, of devices. You're always thinking like there are these core primitives of URLs um, of semantic markup and delivering that to devices, right? Like, and then we keep having to, to, to respond to the whole, like, a space of innovation and, and new ideas in, in that spectrum of how is the web going to be consumed. And that also means that we constantly have to build new new frameworks and new tools for actually generating relevant user experiences across all of that right like that'll keep circling and, and, and keep evolving but there's a couple of these like core fundamentals around urls and uh, transfer protocols and so on that that are very strong foundations that make the web continue to win as a platform even though the, the, the generations of, of, of devices we're targeting has shifted so many times um, since, since the web initially got envisioned. Yeah, these are all things that I think as developers, as you sort of navigate your career, you subconsciously internalize these changes and they become things that you sort of assume as part of the world. 
Uh, like there's not a developer in the world who's building a website right now that doesn't think it'll ever be seen on a tablet. But that's something that it wouldn't have been considered in you know 2010, 2011, something like that for a lot of uh, scenarios. Um, and we adapt these, we adapt to these cases uh, sort of inherently. But I think it's really important to analyze and see how it's changing over time to be able to forecast what you need to invest in or the things you need to research or do better at uh, to tell where your users are headed and what use cases are, are coming into uh, popularity. Um, the, the other underlying thing to me that I think has been really nice about the way that the web is growing lately is, is sort of um, an emphasis on accessibility and performance. Uh, and I, I mean performance in the sense that your web app should load quickly and uh, you know degrade gracefully uh, for people who are experiencing it on devices that are maybe slower connections or less uh, capable than others. Um, it, it speaks to sort of the global nature of the work that we do and kind of the capacity to help people all over the place. Uh, and that's, that is such a massive ethical importance. Uh, and it's really cool to see that sort of characterized in these surveys as well. Yeah. And I'm very excited about the, what some of the new tools in that space is doing, both uh, tools like uh, Astro, tools like Solid, tools like Quick, that are really rethinking some of those questions of like, okay, are there ways that we can both simplify the mental model for, for developers, but then also help them build um, very high performance uh, websites when we go out of the application space. And then lots of development also to make applications more performant, right? Like this. There's a lot of really interesting work going on in that space right now that I think in the next couple of years we'll see a lot of, a lot of adoption around those, those frameworks. I think we all bear a lot of responsibility to do a great job of that. Uh, and this survey is an important part of making sure that we're keeping eyes on, on important things there. Uh, and I certainly feel like Netlify is doing a good job of um, being conscious of, of the broader picture and sort of the world that's uh, operating around the problem space that we're all working in, building software to help people do things better, whatever, whatever problem they're aiming to solve. Uh, software engineers, software developers, designers are all out there kind of working together in that space. Um, Matt, it's been really incredible chatting with you. Uh, I, I feel very privileged to be able to sit down with you and, and kind of talk about Netlify and what you're working on. Um, before we depart, uh, I would love to hear two things. So uh, what's the best way to find you on the web? Uh, where are you sort of sharing things these days? And um, is Netlify hiring at the moment? What sort of people are you looking for, if so? Um, yeah, you can you can hit me up on uh, on Twitter. Uh, I'm Realman Two Eyes and Two Ins, which I know is pin yes, but it's my name, so <laughs> I can't do. It. <laughs> um, and uh, and I'm always always happy to chat with anyone in the in the community. So feel feel free to to shoot me a, a, a DM there if you want to get in touch, or just shoot me a mail at matt at netlify.com. Um, if my if my last name is too hard to to remember, <laughs> and uh, for for jobs at Netlify, uh, go check out netlify.com/careers. Um, that's that's where you'll see the the latest opportunities to to become a part of of our team. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for hanging out today. It's been a really pleasure uh, chatting with you. Um, looking forward to doing it again in the future. Thank you so much. Always take care, man.